Hey, I'm Oded from Berkeley, California. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like you and me. If you'd like to donate to the show, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Radio It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. My guest on the program, Roger Bennett. He's the co-author of Camp Camp, as well as the uh, best-selling Bar Mitzvah Disco. Camp Camp is where Fantasy Island meets Lord of the Flies. It's a compendium of notes, photographs, and reminiscences about summer camp in the 1970s, 80s, and even a little tiny bit of the 1990s. Uh, Roger, welcome to the Sandy Young America. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Oh, it is a pleasure to have you, sir. It is a pleasure to be here. What led you into the topic of summer camps? It's the uh, logical next step. Uh, yeah, from bar mitzvah to summer camp. Spending two years exploring in depth the bar mitzvah subculture of the 1980s. You said that as though the bar mitzvah subculture of the 1980s was like the industrial music subculture of the 1980s or something. They were very, very similar, and they actually overlap greatly. You know, historians have ever been willing to acknowledge. When you're looking at the 1980s, you're looking at the new romantics, you're looking at post-punk, and of course you're looking at bar mitzvahs. The three go hand in hand. Yeah, that's the... The the, the, difference between industrial uh, rock and bar mitzvahs is there's a lot more pigs in the blanket at the latter, but that's the only differential. Gotcha. I, I, I'm glad you clarified that because, you know, your Bauhauses or whatever, I always, I just, okay. But the bomb it's for, uh, was the perfect storm. It's where the individual who was probably 90% of the uh, time was prepubescent um, was told that he was a man or she was a woman, uh, as if just saying that would make it so. And they were fused together with their community with their school friends and horror of horror, with their parents and their family and all thrown together. And often with a caricaturist. A caricaturist, uh, more important than the rabbi in almost all of the uh, occasions because the the caricaturist is actually the psychologist. We interviewed a lot of those guys and they all said that they weren't just caricaturists, they were psychologists. They could look into your eyes and see the window of your soul. They knew exactly exactly which dads were cheating on which wives. They knew exactly which marriages were about to break up. But the the camp really was kind of the natural continuation because it really was for many, many individuals actually far more than we thought when we set out on this journey. It's where they truly did become adults it's where they had their formative experiences and the lovely difference of the bar mitzvah was the parents almost in fact all adults were taken out of the equation and summer camps were kind of mini utopias run by kids for kids where everybody was uh, had a place they were definite communities they were formed with hierarchies but they were communities so even if you were kind of a weirdo uh, there was always a place for you with a very special role in the uh, the old theater production but these were places where pretty well everybody was having their first everything. They were having their first uh, starring role in a play. They were learning to shoot a jumper shot, but they were also spending all day just waiting for the night time when they could get some uh, kind of under the shirt over the bra action. 
<laughs> uh, w- w- did you yourself attend summer camp? I did. I mean, the, the honest answer to your question, Jesse, and yeah. maybe you're hinting that my accent sounds like I'm from Detroit. Yeah. Why, why summer camp is actually connected to the fact I'm from Liverpool, England, which is a remarkable place to uh, come of age in. It was the 1980s. Music was everywhere. It was economically uh, kind of impoverished. That's actually where the bar mitzvah scene got started, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was indeed. There's many, many a band that got their uh, got their start on that circuit. I think we actually had the Lars play at my brother's bar mitzvah. But the uh, like growing up there, it was music was everywhere. But it was an incredibly kind of impoverished setup during the Thatcher era, and uh, life was a little bit tough. And the things that got us by were Heart to Heart, Fantasy Island, Starsky and Hutch. And then later on, obviously, Jenny Garth and uh, um, all those characters in your city. And uh, life seems to be... This is not my city. <laughs> let's, wait, let's have no illusions about that. Jesse, I've only just met you, but let me tell you, you've changed. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the living there, those shows were what... And Fantasy Island, actually, that was a key one. But they made us realize that life could be lived in color. And to me, life was lived in color where all these shows were coming over from. I know I'm making myself sound like I grew up in Odessa, (laughs) but I grew up just loving all of this stuff and all of this stuff really once I saw Ferris Bueller um, and it kind of all tied it together for me. All of this stuff meant the suburbs of of the United States of America. And so, um, I mean, that was really where all of this stuff started. I did come over when I was 15. Uh, and I spent the summer just when Ferris Bueller had come out. I managed to persuade a Chicago and a random Chicago. And then Jeff Owen, if you listen to this show, thank you because you've changed my life forever. Hosted me for eight weeks and I just spent the summer on the beach in Chicago. Uh, and then came back a couple of years later to uh, summer camp, which was the next stop. And a little bit like the Tocqueville had democracy to mm-hmm. think about and to... Uh, uh, invest uh, his energies in. It was an amazing summer for a variety of different reasons, a very formative one. I was the kind of despised caste, the underclass, the foreign counsellor. But, um, I mean, it was just a, a incredible window into the social, cultural and economic realities that made this country uh, both great and terrifying at the same time. What, what kind of camp were you a counsellor at? There's these, you know, there's... Indian heavy camps, non-Indian heavy camps. There's Jewish camps. There's I actually I myself went to an Episcopalian camp, which is a you know, relatively Happy unusual. Happy days, Jesse. <laughs> How long did you last that? Uh, you know, I think I went three years. It's funny. I I had a very ambivalent relationship with camp. I think I was the only kid at camp who n- didn't feel homesick, but also didn't live for camp. Camp, an incredible place of opposites. Yeah, but if you were in that safe middle ground, it meant you weren't getting laid every night, but you also weren't a bedwetter. It sounds like you didn't fare too badly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a fair way to characterize it. So let's let's hear about this this camp that you worked at. What's what's um, what was it? I mean, you, you went on the west coast. Yeah, I was I was in Northern California. And camp is a remarkable reflection of geography, and there the camp was all about the beach. On the east coast, I, I was kind of dropped in, and when you're a foreign counselor. Remember, you are here because you've seen Freeway and you've seen Heart to Heart and you've seen Dallas and you've seen Huggy Bear and you come over for slave wages. It's an incredible sleight of hand. You come over thinking you are going to be spending a summer kind of where Huggy Bear applies his trade. Whatever, uh-huh. whatever, At a summer camp? Whatever trade that was, Jesse. And <laughs> Before you knew it, you were whisked away to the sticks in the middle of nowhere. And we were whisked away to the middle of Maine, which is, as I understand it, if New Jersey is bomb, it's for capital USA. 
the middle of Maine around a massive uh, pond, a, a large pond with is kind of the hotbed of camp culture. And I, it, my camp was really Camp Kingswood. Uh, God love you. Uh, was really Camp Poor Boy. It was sandwiched in between several private camps where we got to look out and it was almost an activity looking at their uh, jet skis as they saw them. <laughs> uh, we looked out. They didn't our, really have jet skis. Uh, they both had them, but I think to enjoy them, but they also had them to spite us. <laughs> and so yeah, Camp Poe Boy uh, was did really... They also, did they also serve bug juice and golden carafes? That was uh, on the day before uh, Parents' Day, I think. So when the parents came and said to their kids, what did you drink last night? They said, bug juice and golden carafes. And so they <laughs> felt like they were well taken care of. But yeah, Camp Poe Boy is one of those summers where you realize or you try and rationalize that the best things in life are very simple, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Roger Bennett, is the author of Camp Camp, where Fantasy Island meets Lord of the Flies. It's a look at the joys and indignities of summer camp. When you started to talk to people about their camp experiences, did you get a response that you expected or did it surprise you? Yeah, we didn't really have too much of an expectation. We went into this, as I say, because it did feel like the natural segue, the natural transition, a place of first. We knew it was where people really felt like they were becoming uh, who they were. What did surprise us was the emotional depth of the reaction. It felt like having done this book and it took us three years, we collected 80,000 photographs, which is 10 times uh, what we received in pleather lined albums for the bar mitzvah uh, <laughs> book. Um, we received 80,000 photographs and we kind of uncovered a massive network of almost opus day uh, proportion across the country of fine <laughs> young American lawyers accountants, doctors, um, and a huge dose of entertainment industry individuals, a huge dose. It's as if summer camp was purposely created by Lou Wasserman as a strategy <laughs> to uh, repopulate the, uh, the lower levels of the entertainment industry and onwards. We met these individuals who are remarkable on the surface. They seem totally normal, but they are still braced for the color war cannon to go off at any second <laughs> and return to this time in this place. And I think if anything surprised me, it was the deep emotional connection, which for masses, masses um, uh, of young Americans far outstrips the kind of high school um, and college experiences. And one can only kind of prognosticate as to why. Clearly not for you, Jesse. No, I mean, I, I had a nice time at St. Dorothy's Rest. Uh, I dyed some T-shirts. I earned a, a series of small badge, you know, lapel pins. Uh, each year you would get a different level of lapel pin. I did some arching, a little bit of uh, whitewater rafting, and I visited the county fair. And you got it all done in three years and under. So you were, you were a frequenter of the arts and crafts room, was that the? Well, you know, it was a, it, it was always a, it was always a battle to sign up on, on the activities morning. <laughs> um, and frankly, if like me, you are uh, not made of stout stuff, you're less likely to participate in kayaking. I think that, or canoeing. I think that kayaking and canoeing, which is a, a fairly uh, small chapter 
kind of tucked in about, let's put it this way, we didn't get too many photographs among the 80,000 uh, <laughs> of individuals that when they think of camp, they thought of kayaking and canoeing, Jesse. There was a lot of canoeing going on in my camp. So I, you know, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that it wasn't a canoe intensive camp or that I didn't avoid canoeing at all costs because I was didn't want to drown and I had no interest in it. I didn't see what the appeal was. Archery, you're shooting an arrow, you know what I mean? That's cool. Archery is, and there's a beautiful essay in the book by Todd Rosenberg that I think screams out to be turned into a blockbuster movie. It's called Deer Hunter, and uh-huh. he is a gentleman. That, I think that is a, that is already a movie. Um, well, this could be the sequel. Oh, gotcha. Uh, possibly. They're very, very similar. I've always so, wondered what happens next. Very, you know? <laughs> you read the book and find out. Yeah. Uh, they leave Vietnam and the uh, horrors and uh, the violence of that time and place and end up on a summer camp in New Hampshire. And he finds in a really rather minute bowl uh, like experience minute bowl is pretty fascinating the dude's a shepherd one second and then the next second someone comes along and says actually you have the perfect body and the perfect attributes to be a world-class star in a sport you've never heard about mm-hmm. which actually makes you think jesse somewhere in maybe in uh, asia somewhere there's a sport that you don't know about that you could be a kind of a gold medal winning athlete at yeah dumpy ball <laughs> it's for dumpy guys it's very big in where's it big jesse I think that's somewhere in eastern Kazakhstan. Um, <laughs> You've got to get yourself an agent. The, but you know what? The fact of the matter is, if you're out there and you're a dumpy ball agent, I'm not interested because I'm already off to play uh, pocket square polo, which is a sport exclusively for people who wear pocket squares. So Todd Rosenberg got to camp and realized that, uh, you know, with his resilience, with his... Uh, quick hand-eye coordination this sport he'd never encountered before growing up in uh, in new rochelle the suburbs of westchester where hunting strangely enough is not very big but he had the natural attributes to become a champion uh, archer and the essay and this is one of the beautiful things about camp is it's an opportunity to become a different you if you're a terrible athlete um at, at school or your life no one at camp knew you were and you could be a champion dodgeball thrower they would fear you and he did become uh, an incredible archer, a beautiful archer. And uh, the essay is about the year he spent his whole, every ounce of his energy, kind of eschewing the the temptations of the flesh uh, and the grape. <laughs> and uh, one of the master archer and the two of them came head to head in the climax that I won't ruin. So, sort of like when Gina Davis gave up acting to try and become an archer. You remember that? I, th- I thought that was actually one of her finer acting performances. The, uh, <laughs> the, the Olympic trials starring Gina. Man, that's the greatest thing in the world. Between, I sometimes I can't decide which is better: Gina Davis quitting acting to become an archer, or Daniel Day Lewis quitting acting to study how to make shoes with a cobbler in Italy. Both of them so beautiful. Have you ever played him at Dumpy Ball, Jesse? Uh, I dominated him at Dumpy Ball at, at DumpyCon 2007. I, think I kicked my ass. But he's coming back next year. Kick my ass. He's just he's insufficiently dumpy for Dumpy Ball. It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the program, it's the sound of young America from MaximumFun.org. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the program is Roger Bennett. He's the co-author of Camp Camp. We'll have more with Roger when we come back in just a minute, right here on the sound of young America. Production of The Sound of Young America is underwritten in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. 
In the early 60s, Mal Sharp and James P. Coyle put on the squarest suits they could find, picked up a briefcase with a hidden tape recorder, and hit the streets of San Francisco with some of the craziest schemes ever imagined by man. Want to know how a drunk sailor reacts when they tell him they'd like him to star in their verite film about a bank robbery, and that they'll be using real guns, and that no one but him will know it's a film, and that afterwards they'll all split the money? You might be surprised. Maximum Fun is proud to present Season 2 of Coil and Sharp, The Imposters. Real put-ons from the real streets of real 1960s San Francisco featuring James P. Coyle and Mal Sharp, a pair of real nuts. Search for Coil and Sharp in iTunes or visit MaximumFun.org. It's the Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Roger Bennett, is the author of Camp Camp. It's a look back at summer camp experiences from the 1970s and 80s, penned by contributors like A.J. Jacobs, Rachel Sklar, Paul Feig, David Wayne, and Sloan Crosley. You alluded to this goal of uh, dealing with the ways that people who have been dislocated socially through you know this huge social upheaval that's happened in, in the United States in the past hundred years or so tell stories about their experience and camp is a place that is very self-consciously about that about creating rituals that are passed down through the generations of campers because the camp generation is you know, what, five or six years instead of 30 years of somebody being allowed to go to camp or, you know, 10 or 12 if you count their time as a counselor. What were some of the more intense camp-specific things that you heard about in terms of rituals and, and traditions and camp values? That, that's a, a great question. Um, each camp is a compressed universe with its own rituals, its own unique rhythms, um, its own values. And what was remarkable to us, one of the, the, the things that kind of blew me away was how your choice of camp could impact greatly the future direction of your life. And uh, when we asked many, many people, why, you, why did you go to that camp? They'd say, you know, my mum just clipped out the advertisement from that camp in the back of the New York Times. But the, uh, so it was often very random why they went there. But there's an incredible difference. If you just look at all girls camps, Obviously, there's all girls, there's all boys, there's the mixed. But even if we just look at the all girls, we encountered bunks and we interviewed over 300 uh, kind of bunks to elicit their stories to really try and pick up on these differences and these details because a book is a book of similarity and a book of difference. And when we did these interviews, we encountered, for instance, an all girls bunk um, where they spent the summer uh, kind of playing the lyre, uh, silversmithing, uh, very chaste, uh, reading kind of uh, Bronte sisters books which they shared and read out aloud under torchlight in the forest a wonderful bonding experience all women together no guys there and they really got to know themselves all of the uh, and we also met all girls bunks where um, the kind of girls spent the uh, summer waxing their legs uh, smoking um, weed with uh, with the kitchen staff and kind of living for the social, living a very urban life in the, in a very rural setting. All the former girls, and it can be no coincidence, Jesse, have ended up in the publishing industry, and all the latter now work in uh, Ralph Lauren. So like, <laughs> the, where, you, where you clip that ad from, where your mother clipped that ad from and just innocently mailed it in, really to get rid of you so that uh, your parents could go around Europe for eight weeks unmolested, um, really can impact the future of your life. And it's particularly true in Hollywood. 
where we encountered large numbers of people, huge amounts, and I don't fully understand it. We can kind of uh, share ideas about why that is, but huge amounts of individuals in the entertainment industry who um, kind of came of age and began networking before Facebook networking did exist, but it existed offline. It existed kind of among the, the high karate and the pine smell and the urine smell of the, uh, of the, of the bunks. It seems like, like the entertainment industry, summer camp is an opportunity to remake yourself that is, you know, un, unparalleled elsewhere. You know, like you can go to summer camp, nobody knows who you are, and you can do some ridiculous thing, and then you're the guy that did that ridiculous thing for the rest of your summer camp career, and, you know, be it beloved or uh, or not. Absolutely. I, Adam Goldberg writes a story in, in the book about uh, a guy who... I have to think of how to parse this for public radio, but uh, a guy in his uh, a guy in his summer camp who accidentally simulated a sex act on a fellow camper. Absolutely accidentally, may we add? Yeah, no, completely accidentally tripped and fell onto another camper. Pushed uh, even. Yeah, and uh, became that guy for the rest of his camp until in and and uh in a story about a guy maybe, maybe the same guy maybe a different guy who had been the absolutely the most picked on guy at camp who came to be defined by the fact that puberty came early to him just these weird ways that the social hierarchies are completely transformed different guy different guy but you're right okay. the, you know <laughs> for, for men and many people said this that they went through kind of the early years of school rutted in their personality and camp was his second chance to try again Particularly um, for uh, men, you could be the ladies' man that you would not at home. People would laugh at you, but you could affect a whole different persona and it would stick for two golden months. And for women, uh, the remarkable thing was you could protect and maintain the integrity of your beautiful reputation uh, in your hometown and then just go and hook up with a different guy for, uh, every night for two months. And the news of what occurred at camp would never filter back. And so uh, for both men and women, you know, camp was a chance to try things on, to really, uh, whether it was to experiment with transvesticism among the uh, um, the wardrobe of the camp theatre department or to experiment. There's a wonderful thing called the purity test, uh, which is a double page list of 100 um, sexual acts, um, which every night in the girls' bunk in many, many camps the girls would take and you scored. It was meant to be a great thing to maintain your purity. And the girl who sent it in said, you know, we'd all start off the summer scoring a healthy 83, <laughs> uh, which I think translates to, so you've kind of dabbled in second base. And she said, by the end of the summer, we're all down in the low 40s. <laughs> what did you hear from people about what their camp experience meant to them? now as adults like more than just you know it it helped them become a, a man or a woman or looking back on it retrospectively what did it mean to them i think for many people it was the happiest time of their life it really was the happy not an uncomplicated time not an uncomplicated time as you've already hinted at i mean camp was a place of conflicting emotions the boys bunk was a place of incredible violence it was also a place of incredible togetherness. The girls' bunk was a, a place where whispering in the quiet of the bunk at night felt, as one uh, of the contributors said, felt like church. It was so profound. But there were also vicious hierarchies there. You love being there, but you're also homesick. 
uh, you were in love one minute, the next minute you've been dumped and you, your heart was crushed into a million pieces. It was a place of complicated emotion. But I think when people look back on it, it was a time of incredible freedom, a time of incredible collective experimentation, a massive sexual petri dish. Um, and I think overall, if I had to pick one thing, uh, it would be that for many, 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 many people, that was when they look back on their life. Um, it was like that happy time and that happy place. Doug Herzog, who um, is a, a remarkable gentleman and was in the Bar Mitzvah book as well. And this, uh, by uh, accident, I've almost become his unofficial uh, biographer, <laughs> said, said something beautiful. Um, he, he said, you know, people ask me, how do I uh, how do I run Comedy Central? How do they get to how, how can I run or have your job? And he said, um, I always look on a resume um, to see whether they become a camp counselor or not, because if you can get 29 year olds out of bed at eight o'clock into the morning, eight o'clock in the morning, brush their teeth into their swimmies and down to the waterfront by uh, by nine fifteen, you can do pretty well anything. <laughs> I think that kind of is the best answer I can give. Are you done slash exhausted with the chronicling of your generation's most awkward years, or has this opened your heart to doing it indefinitely? I mean, is Mr. Tom Brokaw ever tired of professing that his generation um, are the greatest <laughs> generation? Uh, until Brokaw puts down his arms and goes off and plays a little more golf or tennis, then I will be there meeting him punch for punch. I mean, our grandparents generation so um, you're threatening to fight tom brokaw brokaw if you're listening name the place and uh, for, for for charity of course you had a love support I'd independent love. public media after phil collins uh brokaw is the one i'd most like to take out but the um the the reality is that the chronicling has really only just begun i, I see and brokaw is an inspiration that our grandparents fought the nazi hordes as their great collective task uh, our parents, by and large, cemented the suburban settings in which uh, we were meant to take flight and become the perfect generation. And our great collective achievement, the extended adolescence, which was our great contribution to society, I think you could argue, needs more uh, needs a lot more plumbing. And I anticipate uh, doing 20 kind of volumes in my lifetime. We've already embarked on the um, on the next one, um, which is looking. It's a sonic history. Uh, of music, the music that we listen to as told by bands that never made it. Um, so it's called uh, For Those Who Try to Rock and we're collecting, literally we already collected several hundred and I'd love it to be in the kind of same zone as we did for the camp book 80,000 pictures uh, MP3s and stories of those that perfect moment the garage band in the suburbs or the college band where people just decided to come together that you may have only played one gig I have no doubt you came up with an amazing name, uh, probably wrote one of your own songs and the rest are all cover versions. But I do think if we can assemble a thousand bands that were uh, inspired by Joy Division, 2,000 bands that heard Duran Duran, uh, Planet Earth for the first time and were inspired to pick up instruments they couldn't play, there must be 500 bands called This Charming Band that were kind of inspired by the Smiths. That that is a project which will be, for me, the equivalent of kind of building the pyramids. Well, Roger, I look forward to having an entire shelf on my bookcase dedicated to the 
a leather-bound classics edition of your 20-volume series chronicling Generations X and Y. Can I just say I look forward to that day also. One of the pleasures, <laughs> one of, the pleasures of being here, Jesse, is, uh, is seeing your, uh, the home in which you broadcast from. I have had so many mental pictures of what this looks like, and I had no idea that it would be so palatial. Somebody emailed me and said that they had just assumed that when I said live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, my house was an ironically named recording studio. I can vouch that that is not the case, although I can say, and um, having seen it, I thought it would be some kind of a, like a bunker uh-huh. or a back cave. And as I said to you when we met, this is kind of palatial. It's a kind of place I'd imagine Dallas era Larry Hagman to be uh, kind of kicking <laughs> back his boots. Well, you know what? Let's uh, let's go off the air, and I'll pull down Shakespeare's head, and we'll head down <laughs> to the Batcave. Uh, Roger Bennett is uh, the co-author of Camp Camp, where Fantasy Island meets Lord of the Flies, a uh, lovely and touching compilation of camp photographs, uh, stories, and ephemera. Can you believe it? Another Sound of Young America program coming to its natural conclusion. I've been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our theme music written and performed by Dan Grayson with help from myself. Interstitial music provided by Dan Wally. Our interview edited by Nick White. The intern, Chris Bowman. My adorable dog in charge of entertaining the guests is Coco the Brown Dog. We're online at MaximumFun.org. And if you have any thoughts about the show, you can always... Either post them in our forum at MaximumFun.org slash forum or email them to me directly. My email address is jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at MaximumFun.org. We'll see you next week and online right here on The Sound of Young America. <laughs>